So welcome to the last session of the day. Um, thank you for staying with us to the very end. Um, we appreciate you. This session is about finance as a tool for sustainable growth in Africa. My name is Kende Aladikoye. I'm a candidate here, MBA candidate here at Thai Business School. And our guests this afternoon are virtual. That's why you don't see them with me on stage here. <laughs> well, now projected, good. Okay, um, so I'll give you a brief about what we're talking about today before I go ahead to introduce our special guest for today. So the brief about today is we're looking at financing gap in Africa. And just to get us started, various sources put our financing gap in Africa, for example, for climate change adaptation and mitigation at $2.4 trillion, you've heard of today. Our infrastructure funding gap is currently at $130 billion per annum. And for SME, which is a vital part of our economy in Africa, our funding gap currently stands at $421 billion. These figures go on and on, but you get the idea. We're talking about huge financing gap across the continent, and that's why we're talking about this today, so that we can find solutions together on how to cover this deficit. Finance is quite a broad topic, so for the sake of our discussion today, we'll be focusing mainly on venture capital and project finance. So. For this session, we aim to identify ways that we can unlock finance and then how we can position Africa as a preferred destination for venture capital as well as project finance. So um, apologies in advance. We'll not be able to take questions at the end of the session, uh, but I hope you still enjoy the session. So for this session, we have two special guests with us. Um, let's meet our panel. Um, we have Fola Fagbule from Nigeria, and we have Benjamin Fernandez from Tanzania. So I'll give a brief introduction of our panelists before we start. Um, Fola Fagbule is a senior banker and an investment professional um, who focuses on infrastructure projects in Africa. He currently works with AFC, that's Africa Finance Corporation, um, as a deputy director, and as well as, let's go. Okay, as well as the head of financial advisor services. He's been with AFC for close to 15 years and he has won several hearts with AFC, um, head of origination, vice president, senior vice president, and now a deputy director. We're glad to have you on the panel today. Thank you for joining us. Um, our second guest is Benjamin Fernandez. He's a Tanzanian award-winning speaker and entrepreneur. Um, recently recognized as one of the most influential men in digital transformation in Africa, as well as um, recently listed as the 15th most influential Tanzanian in 2020. Um, Fernandez is the founder and CEO of Nala, um, one of East Africa's largest consumer fintech companies. La Nala has been able to secure VC funds in the past um, and which is part of what we'll be talking about today. Um, Fernandez holds an MBA from Stanford, as well as an exec ed from Harvard. Thank you for joining us, um, Benjamin. Thank you. Oh, you're great, great. <laughs> All right, so 
that out of the way, we have to start with the conversation. We don't have so much time left. So to kickstart the conversation, I want both of you in a few sentences to tell me what comes to your mind when you saw this topic, finance as a tool for sustainable growth in Africa. Um, let's start with you, Benjamin. Cool. Uh, Mambo Vipi for all my East, fellow East Africans. Uh, good evening for everybody else. Anyway, I know the last session before, for me, when I used to go to these sessions when I was a student, I was thinking about food and the, the party on Friday night. So I'll, I'll, I'll make sure we'll keep it lighter and enjoy ourselves today. Um, anyway, so my name is Benjamin, I'm the founder of NALA, and we do cross-border payments across multiple countries in Africa, and really appreciate the, the side and Oxford team for organizing this event. Um, regarding the African continent and payments uh, and just the funding gap, I think it's massive. I think there is um, a lot of work to be done, and I think that's, that's what's really exciting for me is the potential of what can be done. There's, of, of course, so many challenges um, that the region faces, and I think one of them is building trust. Um, you know, when we operate in multiple African countries, so us as Nala, we operate in five African countries. And one of the challenges, even as we expand in every single market is, unfortunately, you know, Africans don't even trust Africans, uh, you know, and that's the truth. So I go to meet a central bank with my Tanzanian passport and uh, sit down and, and they're like, oh, like, you know, um, why should we let you guys do payments in this market? Um, and we get asked way more questions than somebody, let's say, an American company expanding into uh, that same country would get asked. Um, and I think that's that's challenging. And I think those sort of things limit the potential for African founders uh, when we get compared to on a VC stage or at a global stage with other uh, companies that are operating in similar markets but are able to maybe secure a license faster than a fellow African company, right? And I think there's an aspect of trust that's missing, and I hope that conversations like this, um, because I think everybody who's sitting in this auditorium in this room right now has significant influence to help change those conversations and help change impact, uh, change an impact the way uh, regulators or policymakers see uh, people in the payment space or even in the tech space as well. And I think that's, that's what I'm most excited about is, is, is seeing what the, how that's gonna grow and change and evolve over the next five to 10 years on the continent. Thank you. Um, Fola. Sorry, we'll have a bit of difficulty there. Can you all hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Excellent. Uh, good evening, everyone, and uh, good to be here with you all. Uh, I would have been there in person uh, because I was in the UK until a few days ago, but I came back thinking I would vote in the elections that were supposed to be tomorrow uh, in Nigeria, which have since been postponed by a week. So uh, unfortunately, I, uh, I can't be there, um, but I'm delighted to be uh, speaking with, with you all today. Um, I think that, you know, thanks for having me. I think that when you, when I saw the topic, the first thing that came to my mind was the reason why I got into finance in the first place. I mean, when I was in business school, um, you know, I, I explored various options about what I would do when I finished. And ultimately I, I decided to, to go into corporate finance. Uh, and the reason was because I, I thought that finance was an incredibly powerful tool for problem solving. Uh, originally, I worked in measures and acquisitions and capital raising, uh, and it was solving corporate finance problems for the most part. You know, as I went into development finance and project finance uh, later in my career, I found and I've seen the impact 
um, that finance can have in you know in terms of changing the lives of people. Uh, you know, there are lots of people working uh, with different kinds of financial institutions on the continent. Um, some of them are focusing on smaller size businesses, microfinance, and SMEs, and what have you. And some others, like us, are focusing on really large transactions, infrastructure projects, um, you know, financing governments, financing uh, sub substantial projects that are transformational uh, in many African countries. Uh, and what I've found is just the power of, of finance. And I'm you know, looking forward to having that conversation with, with you guys today. Um, finance, at the end of the day, is it's about being well-organized. Um, attracting finance is about being well-organized as a country, you know, as a company, um, as, as, a, as a financial institution, as a, as a human being. Uh, if you organize your affairs carefully, uh, you will attract financing. And this is the main sort of lesson uh, of my career. Uh, it's been the lesson of AFC, which uh, was founded about 15 or 16 years ago. I joined early in the life of AFC. Uh, and what we've done uh, with the institution in that time, building it into one of the most um, uh, important development finance institutions on the continent, has all been a story of careful organization. And, if, and when you are well organized, when you set your stall up properly, finance will come to you and you will be able to make an impact with, with that financing. So I'm happy to have a more detailed conversation about this, but that was what came to my mind when I saw the, the topic. Thank, thank you, you for, again. Thank you for sharing that, Fala. Um, in a lot fewer sentences this time, could you talk about um, what project finance means? Then Benjamin would tell us what um, venture capital is, just for the sake of our audiences who probably don't know what this do means. Let's start with you, Fala. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, project finance in some is about you know, securing long-term financing for projects with no other security, no other collateral than the project itself. So making projects pay for themselves. And, you know, when I talk or teach about project finance, the first thing I say to people is that project finance is just basically good banking. It's just good banking practice. It's, it's, you ask yourself, how can this project on its own pay for itself? That's the fundamental discipline uh, of project finance. And how can we create a project where there is so much confidence from all the stakeholders that everybody involved in the project will do what they are supposed to do. The folks who are supposed to build it will build it, they'll build it on time and on budget. The folks who are supposed to run it will operate it and maintain it efficiently. The folks who are supposed to buy from the project will pay their bills. The folks who are supposed to supply materials to the project will supply the material in the quality and quantity that is required. So, you know, you set a project up from day one so that it is self-sustaining and sustainable. And that is the discipline uh, of project finance. And it's an amazing tool that has really been transformational in terms of attracting capital into uh, African projects, into uh, projects all over the world. But certainly in Africa, project finance has been incredibly transformational for the, for the continent. Thank you. Benjamin? Cool. So I guess the question was, what is venture capital? Uh, yes. Venture capital is capital invested into a project where there's a su substantial element of risk, typically uh, around a new or expanding business. 
And basically, venture capitalists primarily, you know, globally have been known to invest into tech uh, companies and like, you know, startup companies which have potential to grow. But it's also very important to be aware of there's a large element of risk um, versus, you know, sort of other types of investments. So I think that's the primary difference. Thank you. Um, our next question is about challenges, you know, associated with financing large scale infrastructure projects in Africa. Um, some will tell you this is because we do not have enough bankable projects in the pipeline. Um, you could agree with that or not, but what do you think are the main challenges that we're facing in terms of securing the financing we need for large-scale infrastructure projects in Africa? Um, I would want you for that to take a stab at that question. No, thanks. I mean, when I first started in, in project finance, um, 12 or 13 years ago, that was a very common theme of what people would say, we don't have enough bankable projects, was a very common uh, refrain. I think that things have changed a lot in the last sort of decade and a half. Um, it is still the case that we don't have enough bankable projects. That is always the case. Um, but I think that the focus really now is about the reason why we don't have enough bankable projects. I think what we've certainly what we've proven at AFC, where over the last uh, 12 to 15 years, we've done more than $10 billion in projects very successfully, uh, very profitably. Um, we have, you know, in the last 12 months, I don't want to reveal what, what our numbers are, are going to be because they're just about to be public, but they're well over a quarter of a billion dollars in net income, right, uh, for, for the year that has just ended. Now, that's a significant amount of profit uh, to make doing project finance uh, and infrastructure in, in Africa. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's the most profit that we, we've ever made uh, doing it, is, is what we did last year. Last year is our best year ever. Um, so clearly, there is money to be made doing project finance and infrastructure in Africa. Clearly, there are enough projects for institutions like ourselves to be extremely profitable doing what we do. Um, but are there enough projects for what Africa requires Clearly not, because Africa is, you know, significantly in need of, of capital across uh, a range of, of sectors. Um, so, but I don't think that bankable projects is as much the bottleneck now uh, as is the environment for, for doing business. Uh, and I'll pick on two or three of the most important factors that are a drag on capital being available. Uh, one is inflation. Inflation is the enemy of capital formation. Uh, and inflation in Africa is terribly and entirely out of control. Um, and it's just not sustainable to finance long-term projects when inflation rates uh, are at 12, 13, 14, 15, in some cases, 20% in African countries. And so there does need to be a strong focus uh, on macroeconomic discipline on macroeconomic policy and bringing down inflation across uh, countries in Africa. And as I always say to people, if you look at the countries in Africa where inflation is under control, you will also notice that there's very few questions about bankable projects in those markets as well, or fewer questions about bankable projects in the markets where inflation is under control. So number one is inflation. The other one is the sovereign credit ratings of African governments. African governments, for the most part, have been quite um, reckless, to be frank, 
about their fiscal um, affairs. And remember, I, I started the conversation by talking about organization being an incredibly important aspect of, of attracting finance. So we need to be better organized in terms of the fiscal affairs of the various countries in Africa. As you can see uh, in what's happened in Ghana, what happened in, in Zambia, uh, what's happening in Nigeria, what is happening in South Africa, you know, across the board, uh, Ethiopia has had their own challenges, even Egypt, you know, in every market, um, you've seen that there has been a lot of fiscal indiscipline and we're, we're now in an environment where all these credit downgrades are happening. And that's a major drag on capital availability. So inflation, uh, sovereign credit um, ratings, and then finally is back to the old problem, uh, you know, that was in, in place when I got into this business and is still in place, uh, but perhaps less so is governments understanding how to attract, you know, investors into projects, uh, projects uh, creating a liberal environment, liberalized environment for projects, uh, allowing prices and, and, and markets to dictate and determine prices and all of that uh, work. But a lot of progress has been made. So I don't think that that's the most important factor anymore, actually. I think that we now need to focus really on how do we bring inflation down and how do we have governments that are fiscally disciplined across the continent. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think we need to take one more question to unpack what the issue is. Um, so this next question is to you, Benjamin. Since you operate in the entrepreneurial space, what do you think are the key considerations that investors you know, take into account when they evaluate investment opportunities, for example, a VC? What do you think they look at? Yeah, uh, thanks for that question. So for context for us, um, I was sitting in the position many probably students are sitting in today just a couple of years ago, um, and I didn't think I was going to start a business. Um, I was a student in grad school. Um, so as you mentioned, I went to Stanford. So Stanford gives out a scholarship to eight African students a year. So I was one of the eight uh, who received it in my year. And basically, the big question I started to ask myself is, what am I going to do after school? Right. And um, there's this big question of like, go home when you're ready, go home when you have the perfect idea, go home when, you know, you have the best plan. There is no perfect idea. There is no best plan. And when is ready? Like, how much money is enough money? Right. And you can always like start questioning and like making a lot of reasons and excuses uh, for ourselves, right, in, in that perspective when those things are happening. And I think that becomes challenging. And I remember I spoke to an African tech founder and he said, I called him, I was like, hey, I'm thinking of going back home and so on. And he literally said, and I, I was giving all these excuses. I don't have the perfect plan. I don't have enough money. He's like, how much money do you need? And I was like, I don't know, like twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. And he just burst out laughing. He's like, you're not serious. And <laughs> not serious. He's like, you are telling me you can't go and ask a few of your classmates for money. I was like, no, man, we don't do that. And he's like, well, don't you do that for your wedding? Uh, by the way, I'm single, by the way. I'm not <laughs> the topic for another day. Um, pray for me. Send help. Um, anyway, so uh, he's like, you know, in our African culture, we do that for weddings. We do that for funerals. Why don't we do that for businesses where, you know, we can come together and say like, okay, well, somebody needs to raise $20,000, get $500 here, $1,000 there, $200 here. And I was like, oh, I don't want to damage my relationship with my friends. What if the business fails? And he just starts laughing even more. He's like, well, if you think the business is going to fail, you don't even believe, you shouldn't be a founder. You, should, you don't even believe in what you're trying to work on. 
And as soon as he said that, I was like, you know what, he's right. And so for me, I moved back home uh, with this. I um, felt like I was going to start a payments company, and I didn't. I didn't raise money. Um, you know, I I don't come from like a family that's VC backed or anything like that. My sister and myself were the first in our family to go to university. And, you know, it wasn't something that was expected, like, oh, you know, you can go and like build this, this whole thing, I'll go and raise cash. So for me, it was a brand new journey for me. And and, and I applied to Y Combinator, the, the, the VC fund, six times. I got rejected five times, got in once, right? And it was that one time when we got in, we were the first East African company to get into the program. And so as we, as we got into that, it, it changed our perspective on fundraising because all of a sudden you go to start fundraising, people are like talking about, give, one person in San Francisco was talking about giving you a 50K check. I'm like, wait, 50? Like $500 or like $50,000? Um, I, I was like, please write it down for me. Like, I just want to make sure like we're talking the same type of money. And, you know, because I, I never lived in that type of, you know, environment before. I was all new. I was a fish out of the water. I've never, I used to be a, TV host in Tanzania earning $500 a month is my salary. And so like seeing that type of money for me was like, oh, okay, cool, like, this can be done. Um, and so it's been a massive learning curve for myself and many African tech founders where, you know, there's been some bad investors, like people who are not nice people, like who come in, like tell you like, oh, I'll give you $10,000 for 30% of your company. There's people like that that exist who are not good for the tech ecosystem, extremely toxic that will uh, kill the African tech ecosystem. And there's people who really believe in you. And I think at early stage, what really matters the most is uh, the founders who are building the team. If you're trying to build a tech company, you gotta be software enabled if you're trying to build a tech company. And so if you are two MBA students trying to build a tech company with no technical co-founder there, the chances of you guys being successful is significantly lower versus if you had a technical co-founder, right? Now a technical co-founder is a marriage. I know I've been talking about weddings and stuff already, and some of you guys are thinking about food. I heard there there wasn't any jollof rice during lunch, so some people, um, it's fine because I heard Ghanaian jollof is better. Wait, hold on, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm gonna get kicked off this panel real quick. Um, Senegal jollof is the best jollof. We'll, we'll be safe today. Anyway, but I, I think when it comes to fundraising, I think at early stage, it's a bet on the founders, what you're really trying to build and understand understanding of a problem because the company will evolve. The perfect plan doesn't exist. It will keep changing and evolving as the company grows. Now at later stage, like once you're post series A, post series B, it's all about metrics. It's all about revenue. It's all about total process volume. And if you're in the payments industry, it's all about growth and customer acquisition. It's all about contribution margin, net profit. How are you guys growing? Where are you guys going? And that will affect your fundraising opportunities or adjustments. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Um, let's quickly follow that up with another question directed up to you. Um, talking about um, African businesses and entrepreneurs um, and how they're being evaluated by potential investors, how do you think entrepreneurs can be better supported in terms of mentorship, capacity building, and other forms of technical assistance that would make them you know, a lot attractive to investors? Um, is that for me? I, I'm, yes, I'm happy that's to for jump you. in. For you. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a bunch of things. So, for example, like a lot of African founders are overmented and underfunded, right, on the continent, and I think that's a problem. I think some of the challenges that come with it isn't their fault, right? If you think about it, your parents' generation are people who, you know, there's many ideas across the continent and and, and ideas that people have. So, for example. 
across the continent, you'll find this thing where people think ideas matter. Ideas don't matter. And so if you're one of those people sitting in this room thinking, oh, your idea matters, your idea doesn't mean anything. It means zero, actually, to be honest, right? I'd rather with you if you want to build something successful versus thinking, I'm going to sell this idea for whatever. But if you ask yourself, why do we as Africans have this question about our ideas matter, where does that stem from? It actually stems historically from maybe our parents, right? Because maybe your parent had a friend in Ghana or in Nigeria that applied for a government tender and because they knew the, un the uncle who was there, the cousin of whoever, like cousin, brother, sister, like brother, um, they got the tender and all of a sudden became rich overnight. And so all of a sudden your parents' generation start telling like, you know what? Kelly, your idea matters because what you're trying to build, like don't share your ideas with other people. And then we become super defensive and gated about even exploring entrepreneurship uh, at all because it's all about writing a great project plan. I have never written a business plan for Nala, ever, ever, never written a business plan. Obviously business is solving a problem. That's what it is. And you get money is a medium of exchange that you're given when you solve a problem for somebody, right? And so as you're building stuff, you have to fall in love with the problem to really understand what you're trying to build for. So I think my advice would be, um, as you're looking to build, like really focus on understanding the problem better than anybody in the game. When we as Nala were expanding to the UK, everybody said, I've never lived in England, by the way, ever in my life. And so a year and a half, two years ago, we made this decision, Nala's going to expand to England. And like half of our investors are like, you guys are crazy. You've never lived in England. You don't understand cross-border payments. And I was like, why not? Right? And when I would get pushed back and ask people, why not? People are like, oh, like he thinks they can figure this out. And we've not, we're not massively successful, but what we've done in one year, we've shipped more than any of our competitors one year. We've acquired more customers than most of our competitors. Our transaction volume has grown more than any of our competitors um, in the last 12 months. Our team grew this time last year, we were seven people. Today we're 86 people at the organization. There's actually somebody in the crowd, Dennis, uh, who worked with us during his summer internship before going to Oxford. Shout out to Dennis uh, in the room. But anyway, I think there's a lot to learn. And I think what I really focus you on if you're looking to start a business is really understanding the problem. There is no shortcuts to understanding the problem. So find people in the industry who are best in the game at that problem and like really try to learn from that would be my advice. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Um, back to you now, Fala. On the flip side of that, looking at infrastructure projects, what do you think we can do about our infrastructure projects in Africa that will make them very attractive to investments? Um, I think we have to be better organized, um, keeping with, with the, the theme um, that I, I started with. Um, the, you know, African infrastructure is a proven asset class. When I first started doing this line of work, it wasn't quite there, but now it's a very well-established uh, asset class. Um, there are investors um, both domestically uh, across the continent and internationally who understand uh, infrastructure as an asset class, who are very keen to put capital into it. Um, but there are sort of rules to the game um, and there are specific kinds of projects that are the most attractive for, for investors. Um, and so as, as countries across the continent, we have to be better organized in putting those kinds of projects at the forefront of what um, folks are looking for. Um, and it's, you know, it's way too much to discuss uh, on a panel, uh, but just to give a, a few examples, right, based on some of the, the work that we are doing uh, at, at AFC, it is projects that, um, that will lead to exports out of the country, for example. We, we're doing a lot with special economic zones uh, across 
um, African countries where you have projects where um, they're processing raw materials into um, higher value products that are then being exported uh, to uh, the rest of the world. Now that, that's the kind of thing that attracts a lot of interest and, and attention. It's things like ports, seaports. We built uh, you know, several seaports um, across uh, West and Central Africa. Again, because um, there is significant interest for those types of projects that spur industrial activity, that spur exports, and that very easily ultimately pay for themselves. Um, it is natural resources. We are going through a climate transition uh, phase uh, right now in the world where battery minerals are becoming um, as important as crude oil was in the 60s and, and 70s to the functioning of the global economy. Uh, and there's a huge amount of demand for those minerals. And many of the countries in Africa uh, host those minerals, copper, lithium, um, uh, and, and, and all of those are important battery minerals. So again, we have done a lot of work in natural resources in the past and continue to do a lot of work in working with governments and sponsors to, to bring those minerals uh, out and ultimately to beneficiate, which is where we're going, beneficiate those minerals domestically uh, in Africa and then export um, the closer to finished goods to, to the rest of the world. So export uh, initiatives uh, must be supported quite aggressively, aggressively because Africa does need that foreign exchange in order to be able to buy the things that we need, in order to be able to build the infrastructure that we need, in order to be able to pay for schools and hospitals and healthcare uh, and, and all of the things that, that people need and, and to create the jobs that, that Africans uh, so desperately require. Um, so it's all about being better organized. It's all about channeling the power of government towards the highest quality uh, projects, supporting uh, the institutions that know what they're doing and have clear appetite to invest in, in projects. Uh, and by the way, this is ongoing work that we're, we're successfully doing with uh, most of the countries across the continent who, who do realize that it is important to support what we're doing. And when they do, the results uh, follow. Thank you so much. Um, we're almost towards the end of this session. I want both of you to um, give us 30 seconds wrap-up statements each. It's about how do we bring sustainability into this conversation or financing these gaps that we have on the continent and where does it fit? Um, let's start with you, Benjamin. I think the responsibility is on all of us, right? Like everybody who's at the session today, right? Um, all of us building on the continent. I think one of the things I always tell my team, I said, look, if we don't take responsibility, we take orders. And I think that's a principle of life. And so wherever you guys are coming from, wherever backgrounds in, by nature of statistics, if you're sitting at Oxford University today, sitting in this panel, you're the most privileged 1% of people from the African continent by far. Like Africa has less than 1% of people um, on the entire population have been to university have a four-year university degree. So if you have one already, you're in the most privileged 1% of the entire population of the continent. And, and with privilege comes responsibility. All privilege is, is relative, right? So with privilege, we always compare ourselves to somebody else who's more privileged than we are, right? And I think 
with privilege becomes access, but also us asking ourselves, if you're interested in finance across the continent, that's maybe why you're at the session today, then what are we going to do with it? Like I had to ask myself this question before I decided to move back home to start building Nala. And um, this is a question I'd leave with all of you to do. And then my closing statement is, is what I said earlier. If we don't take responsibility, we take orders. And I think that's a principle of life. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, Fala. No, thanks. Again, thank you very much for having me. Uh, how do we bring sustainability into the conversation? I mean, I think that sustainability increasingly is inevitable as part of the conversation. In fact, in many cases, it is the first thing in the conversation. I mean, this has always been the case with project finance, like I said at the beginning, where you're trying to create a project that uh, stands on its own two feet and is sustainable into the future. Um, now, um, across every kind of finance that you're doing, every kind of project that you're doing, whether it's venture capital, private equity, uh, even buying listed equities, whatever you're doing, uh, investors are laser focused on the sustainability aspect. Uh, is it sustainable for the environment? Is it sustainable for the communities in which it is uh, being uh, developed? Is it uh, sustainable from a financial perspective? It's always been the case. Uh, is it you know sustainable in, in, in every way? Is it climate? Is it sustainable from a climate perspective? Uh, so we are extremely focused on sustainability and projects that are not sustainable for whatever reason. Um, ultimately do not deserve to be financed. That's, that's just the reality and will not get uh, financing now. Um, so, you know, sustainability is ex extremely important, but at the end of the day, in Africa, we have a different kind of sustainability challenge from the rest of the world. And I think that's really where I will leave it uh, in terms of, of a closing statement. As young Africans, uh, most of you are, who are uh, ultimately going to be working, whether in Africa or the rest of the world, on, on projects, it's very important to think about sustainability from the unique perspective of Africa, which is that how sustainable is it for us to remain where we are, where unemployment uh, is such a huge problem for most of the young people on the continent, um, whereas um, we are so energy poor, uh, and yet we are not you know, one of the major uh, contributors to, to the global climate crisis. Um, and so the, the, the conversation about sustainability in Africa is a very different one which um, all of us as young, uh, intelligent uh, Africans who are working, whether in Africa or outside the rest of the world, need to always champion that case for uh, Africa to be treated differently. You know, people call it just transition, uh, or they call it, you know, any number of other names. But the fundamental point is we need to solve energy poverty in Africa. We need to solve unemployment in Africa. And we cannot uh, be treated the same as the rest of the world when uh, the question of climate sustainability in particular uh, comes up for, for projects and investments. Thank you. A big... A big thanks to our panelists. Thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing your expertise with us on this subject. Um, that's all we have time for for this session. Thank you. Um, bye. Thank you.